Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels. Watch this. In the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So we're going to look at this morning. Paul, is he does not leave any stone unturned at all. And we're looking at this morning, why is the mediator of the law, why is that significant? Hopefully we'll get some understanding of that. What let's look at the lesser act of imparting first, because this is going to be the crux of what Paul is trying to get us to understand under the Holy Spirit, of course. But look at it. It says, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So this lesser act of imparting of this Mosaic law was by angels and by Moses. So it, look what it says. And it. Well, what's it in Galatians chapter 3? Right in the middle of the verse, it says, and it. Well, it, that's the law. Okay. And then it says, watch the next two words. Was ordained. So it, the law, was instituted or it was ordained. It was established, right? And then it says, by angels. Well, that's weird. <laughs> that's odd. Go back to Deuteronomy 33 and let's get Acts chapter 7. Deuteronomy 33. And Acts chapter number 7. Keep your finger in Galatians. Do a little Bible gymnastics with this. Acts chapter 7 and Deuteronomy chapter 33. So we have the law. It was ordained or instituted, established, right? Now it says by angels. It's kind of an odd thing to say. Why is why is that being said? Deuteronomy 33, 2 is our cross-reference. And it says in verse 2, and he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them, and shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with Ten thousands of saints from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Notice that he came with ten thousands of saints. Now go over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 and let's look at verse 51. The Bible says, ye stiff-necked. And uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Speaking specifically to Jews. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. And verse 53 is what we want to look at. Who have received the law, and here it is, 
by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And have not kept it. Last verse. Keep your finger in Galatians, please. And let's go over to Hebrews chapter number two. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write these cross references down to Galatians three. Deuteronomy 33, two. That's our Old Testament cross reference. We have two New Testament cross references, Acts seven and now Hebrews two, two. And Hebrews two says this. For if the words spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? First began to be spoken by the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And it goes on and on and on. So, but here's what I want you to see. For if the words spoken by angels, Paul's drawing out a lesser and a greater. There's a lesser imparting and there's a greater imparting. The law, the lesser, the promise, the greater. And so he's trying to draw out now this distinction. And he wants us to notice. In the hand of the mediator. So it, the law, ordained or established by angels who went through that. And now it says in the hand of a mediator, the mediator was Moses. So do you get the picture? It's God almighty. And he's going to impart this Mosaic law, but he doesn't just give it to the people. There's mediators, angels and Moses, and then it gets to the people. Is it from God? It sure is. But there is some mediation involved. A man and angels. This is the imparting of the law. This is how the law was given. And he says this. And he brings us back to this Deuteronomy cross reference. Which the Jews should know. So that we see that there is a lesser and a greater. How many of you have already raised kids? Yeah. How many of you are raising kids? Yeah. Don't we all make rules for our home? We impart those rules. It, it, there's a lesser and a greater. If there, do you want them just obeying the rules because the rules came down? Or do you want their heart really connected and they understand that the rules are for their own good and they'll gladly want to obey them? Well, God, he wants our heart. The Jews, these Pharisees, all they want to do is show people that they're better because they can keep rules and they can keep laws, except they really never really kept them all. <laughs> and how many of us parents, when we give laws and rules, for the house, the kids don't keep them. <laughs> no, pick up your shoes. No, clean your bed. No, do that. We all do this. If we're in a company, we can relate to it. We run a home, we can relate to it. No one has ever kept all the laws and rules. No one has ever kept any of it. So now 
Okay, everybody okay? Are we on the same page? We want to move on to the next thought. Look at the end of Galatians 3. Look at it. In verse number 19, it says, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So you have two key words here. The first key word is mediator. The second key word is one. A mediator is one that interposes between parties at odds, and the purpose is to reconcile them. It's the agency between two parties. They kind of create a little interference or an interruption to try to reconcile people together. First Timothy 2 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So we have this mediator. Moses was the mediator. He's talking about the law. Jesus Christ is our mediator. We don't have to go through angels. We don't have to go through a law. But he says, for there is one. Uh, let me just get my spot here. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one. You ever fight with yourself? You fight with somebody else. And that's when a mediator have to come, has to come in. What happens in a company? You got the union workers. They're going to fight against the union managers and they can't reconcile their differences so somebody has to come in and they have to create a contract and now that's mediation both sides have a responsibility to follow the terms of that contract it goes both ways if there's a problem in a family husband and wife are fighting what do they do they call in the preacher and the preacher comes in or they call it right. There's a problem. There's a problem. A mediator comes in and tries to reconcile it. And he typically gives some things that look, you're responsible to do this. You're responsible to do this. There's accountability. Right. And there's some mediation. Well. It's both ways. It's responsibility both ways. Now, I want you to get this. God gives the nation of Israel the law, right? They need to follow the law. God only blesses them physically if they do what? Follow the law and they obey the contract. It is both sides having responsibility. That law came by a mediator, Moses, and by angels. And so now nation obeys. We're going through um, in Exodus and we're showing the kids like they had all these things that they had to do. And when they obeyed, they won the battle. When they disobeyed, they didn't win the battle. Responsibility both ways. The law involved two parties. It was the Lord and the Hebrew people. And they both had obligations to meet. The law did not save the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, spiritually at all. When you go back and read that, you always see it's tied to a physical blessing. Now, this is how these phony baloney fakers fool people. They take Old Testament promises that were given to their that nation and they try to apply them to New Testament Christians. And they messed the whole thing up. 
God blessed their land with crop. God blessed them with children. God blessed their bodies with good health. God helped them win battles and wars. And it was all physical. There were obligations that were met on both sides. It was God and the nation. Now, if you've ever bought a home or sold a home, you have a home buyer, you have a home seller. And who do you got in the middle? The real estate agent draws up a contract. Both parties have to meet and have obligation. It's conditional. It's conditional. If you don't meet the conditions, it, we're done. If the nation didn't meet the conditions, they're done. No blessings. Get sick. Okay, don't eat. God wouldn't play it. You, you, uh, <laughs> you curse your mother or father, <laughs> you die. <laughs> you don't curse them, you live. There's nothing spiritual about it. Uh, well, I mean, there is, I mean, it, but in the sense of the blessing from God, it was physical. Now we have the promise contract. So he's, we know the promise is opposite the law. If you've been going with us in Galatians, you know that. And it's totally unconditional. The fulfillment of the promise is based solely upon God, the giver. He's taking 100% responsibility. The fulfillment is 100% on God. Now, do we see why this lesser greater is important? The greater is the promise. Why? Because it's 100% on God. And it is unconditional. And Paul is trying to draw out this lesser versus greater. You guys got to stop with this law stuff, he's saying. Law, 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 like you actually kept it. No, you haven't. And number two, you're focusing on something so much lesser. This is the greater. Now, in Galatians 3, watch what it says in, in, in the... In the end of the chapter. And this hurts them. Think of yourself as a Jew back then. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one. In Christ Jesus. We're all one. There's no claiming national pride. There's no claiming male or female. We all are one. That's why we are a body of Christ. We are in Christ. That means we don't follow a demonation. We're not part of franchise religion. We don't follow some preacher. We follow God's word. And as we do that, we are all in the same body of Christ. The law. Why was it given? Verse number 19. Look what it says. It was added in the middle of the verse because of transgressions. We we'll do a couple of comparisons as we start to kind of wrap this up. The law was given to magnify your sin and my sin. So instead of going to the TBN network to find out how great of a person that you are, and instead of going to a mega, you know, Mc, Mc, Mc church 
to, 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 find, to find out just how snuggly wuggly you are. God says, no, the law is designed so that you and I and the whole world can see that we are sinners and transgressors. The promise given to mankind was by grace and it's provided in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, look in Galatians 3. I just want to wrap through these because we're comparing now law to magnify your sin. The promise to magnify grace that is provided by Jesus Christ. Verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Verse 19. Till the seed should come in the middle of the verse to whom the promise was made. Galatians 24, look at it. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we may that we might be justified by what? Faith. I know I'm giving you a lot, so let me just let you chew on it for a minute. Law magnifies how bad of a sinner you and I are. Grace magnifies the giver. And that should contrast the law. It shows us how condemned we are and how sin-soaked we are. And grace, oh, wow, for me, for that. It's the contrast he wants us to see, the lesser versus the greater. And drawing this out when you're witnessing to a lost person, helping them see just how sinful they are, is a good thing. We're not leaving them in the bad. We're showing them the bad. We're showing them the lesser because there's a greater. There's a greater. So draw that out in your witnessing. Now, the law, the next thing, the law, it cannot disannul the promise. It doesn't last. Look at verse 17. We already preached on the verse. So I'll just read it. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot what? It cannot disannul. That it should make the promise of none effect. So the second contrast, I want you to see the law does what? Doesn't last. The promise does last. It's lasting. One doesn't last. One does last. Next thing. And now we're in kind of back where we started. The law given through angels and a mediator. Look at Galatians 3.19. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That's the law given that way. Look at the promise. It's given directly by God. Look at it. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. You will. The nation of Israel could never get to God through the law. It didn't matter if it was given by Moses. It didn't matter if it was given by angels. And then Mo, it doesn't matter. They could not get to God and be justified before God by keeping the law. Because none of them kept it anyway. In like manner. You and I cannot be justified and made righteous before God by joining a church. 
by being faithful every Sunday, by being baptized in water, by having Christian parents, by praying to Mary. It has to be through Jesus Christ. And we will have direct access. So you don't come to God through the church and then you get access to the Father. You don't come to God through sacraments or water baptism and then get to God. You don't come to God through a priest or a preacher. None of that. All that is is franchise religion. It'll get you nowhere. You have to come through Jesus Christ. He's the one mediator. And he will mediate. The law. Next contrast I'd like us to see. Galatians 3.22. Get your uh, place there. It was received by a human mediator. Who was the human mediator? It was Moses. Law, Moses. The promise. They didn't need a human mediator. Individuals put their faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 22 says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. I'm going to do one more contrast, and I'm going to make a couple of points that I think will help us all. This next contrast is this. The law required both parties involved. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but the promise, 100% dependent on God, not both parties. God, the giver in the promise, everything. Us, the receiver, nothing. Completely dependent on the grace of God. People. I've been I have been through this in my life personally, and I'm trusting or assuming that you have as well. And I've seen this happen and play out in many aspects of life over the last 20 years. And I'm sure you can look back in hindsight and relate to this. People try to do something outward. To make an impression upon a person or a group of people. We all do that. It's our attempt to show others or to show someone that we're really great. The easiest example is I meet my wife. I'm putting my best foot forward. She thinks I'm great until we get married and it doesn't take her about six weeks to realize he wasn't only cracked, it was cracked up to me. <laughs> now, fellas, if you're like me, didn't you do that? <laughs> oh, everything was going to be great. Everything's going to be lovey-dovey. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm, 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 I'm Hercules. I'm your Hercules. Yep. Until we end up not being that. <laughs> we, I'm not saying those are I'm not saying that's bad to do that. I'm just saying we had an expectation of ourselves. We had intentions that were well thought out. But then we realized 
we couldn't live up to even our own laws and rules. That's why when they go through the marriage vows and, and uh, they ask the, the, the wife, you know, repeat after me, will you love and submit? And she'll pause for a second and so she'll say, I promise to love and love. <laughs> because that's a very difficult thing. And you go through your mind. Yeah, I, I know the Bible says that. And he's so great. I, I, I could submit to that. And then you realize that he throws his boots in the middle of the floor. And so you think, well, I'm sweet. I'm, I'm submissive. I, I read my Bible. I mean, I do daily devotions. <laughs> Honey, would you mind putting your boots in the, in the bucket that's right there? And you walk past it every day and all you have to do is. Oh, yeah, sure. And you think to yourself, well, I can be good about this. Until after about the 20th time, you get so frustrated that you just throw the boots across the room. <laughs> but you made a law and you made a rule in your own mind, in your own heart. I'm going to be good about this. Why do I say all that? Because none of us can even keep the laws and the rules that we make for ourselves to keep. They're good things. Same thing with our kids. We have all these laws and rules for our kids. We want them to obey as they watch us disobey the rules that we make. The whole thing's a mess. Well, Brother Jimmy, are you saying there shouldn't be any rules or standards? No. I'm not saying that at all. You'll find I'll be one of very few preachers that will try their best to hold the line on something. So I'm not saying I'm against laws and rules and commands and all of that. But what I am saying is there's a spirit behind why we do what we do. And there is a motive behind why we do what we do. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. What is your motive? When you make laws and rules for your home, is your motive to make those laws and rules a way toward righteousness? A way to get compliance. And so we run a compliance-based system. And if we're not careful, we take out the spirit and the motive behind it. If you just want people to comply, what I'm submitting forth to you this morning is that's not enough. It's not right. If you want people to love God and you want people to love you, meaning your children or your spouse or your employees. If they love you enough, if I love my spouse enough. I'll do what she asked me to do, not because I'm trying to be held bondage by compliance but because I'm so grateful and I just have so much love and it goes both ways. So why do we obey God not to become righteous before him? But because we're so thankful that he imparted his righteousness to us without of a pure heart, we just enjoy following him. Rather than hate it, but we just comply because we have to. 
And that's what I want us to consider. Nobody has to come to church to be saved. Bless God, you better be here every time the doors are open or you ain't right. Bless God, you better this, you better that. Oh, okay, well, you scared people to come. And they'll comply until they realize you're a nut. <laughs> or, or if we just love God enough and we love each other enough, I want to be in the house of God. I want, and God wants us to do things because we love him and we're falling in love with the author of the book, God himself, not because we think we can be super spiritual because we're doing things. I hope that made sense. Last thought. Last thought is this. Verse 21, and we'll wrap up. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. The law could not give life. The law could not give righteousness. So the question is, is the law then against the promise of God? I'm only going to ask you to tune in and just focus on this last part and we'll close it out. But I want you to get this. The law came after the promise 430 years later. The law didn't disannul the promise. We learn that the law is inferior to the promise. And that all we have to do is trust the promise. So I guess all I have to ask now is, so the law is contrary to the promise? No. Well, God created both, didn't he? I guess God's just confused. I guess he doesn't know what he's doing. No, not at all. We went through all that, and this verse ties it all together and basically says, no, the law complements the promise. That's the whole point. The complimenting. The answer comes back. God forbid. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. The contrast and the conflict between the law and the promise. For if. For if. Meaning, look what it says. He says, God forbid. And then he says, for if. Let's assume that what I'm saying is true for the sake of argument. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Does God demand 100% righteousness? He does. Can anybody get it by keeping the law? No. Could your righteousness or my righteousness be produced by any type of human effort? No. Will I read my Bible any day? Well, great. Will I dress this way? Well, great. Well, I only listen to this music. Well, great. Well, I'm in church every Sunday. Well, great. Well, I, I, I. Okay, why don't you just take you out of it? Because there ain't a thing you can do to make yourself righteous. You got to put your faith. That's what you got to do. In the merit of a different object, not the object of yourself. God never, never intended the Mosaic law to produce righteousness. That is justification before God. That was never the intent. It was never the intent for that law to give regenerating life or eternal life. So as we are looking at this from God's view, we should never look at the law as a means of imparting life. We won't ever find it. We would be looking and we'd be confused. And this verse right here, I want you to get it, is the key verse. And is the problem with the legalistic system 
Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. If there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. I'll close with this. Even in independent fundamental Baptist church churches that know a lot of doctrine, that know a lot of Bible, that door knock, can get intertwined in a legalistic system. And I don't mean churches that have standards. We have standards. Everybody does. But what I mean is, if you're trying to use those as a means to control people, if you're trying to use those as a means to show people that they can be more righteous or more spiritual than someone else or before God, we've lost the whole purpose of the law. Nobody would want to disobey God. If I asked you to show your hand, those that want to really try to obey God, we'd all put our hand up. If we're trying to just comply to show people that we're good and righteous, I'd rather you not. If we're going to love God and keep his commandments, do you know why we try to keep them? Because it comes from a heart that loves him. In other words, and I'll close with this. Somebody says to the preacher, should I do this or should I do that? Ask them, do you love God? Yes, I do. I love God. Then pray about it and make your decision based on, are you doing it because you love God? Not because you're trying to put on a performance. I'm about so sick of the performance-based churchianity in America. It makes me about sick. And it makes other Bible preachers just as sick. And it makes good church members that want to come to church and hear God's word sick. That's why a lot of people are out of church. They're just sick of the junk. We need to fall in love with God. And that's the mediator that will get us where we Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.